0: Welcome to the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. Today's guest is David Syme, founder and technical director of Encore Reality. With over 19 years of digital media experience, David delivers promotion and analysis at strategic, tactical, and operational levels. Disciplines include virtual reality, augmented reality, targeted online video, and strategic digital marketing across social media, mobile, pay-per-click, smart TV, and out-of-home mediums. David directs the multi-award winning digital media agency Encore Video and now Encore Reality. Based in London and central Scotland, this multimedia team delivers results based in immersive media solutions across engineering, construction, hospitality, and luxury retail sectors all around the world. If you want to learn more about his company, it's EncoreReality.com. David, welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Thank you for having me, Alan. And can I start paying you to introduce me at events? That sounded amazing. I'm really impressed by myself now. Okay, let's restart. Davidson, here we go.
0: <laughs> no,
1: too much? No, no, I think, I, think that's, I, mean, I think that's just enough for me. Just
0: enough. <laughs> <laughs> we'll sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. i've been watching what you've been doing
1: on on linkedin for years man and it's super impressive i really really enjoy watching all your travels and all the places that you go i can only aspire to that kind of activity but hey i'm doing my best
0: well, I can tell you that uh, I can't go on LinkedIn anymore without seeing your smiling face. So you must be doing something right.
1: I think I'm developing an addiction. That's the, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <It's like laughs> I can't, can't seem to stay off. I managed to wean myself off Facebook, and then this this came along. The spectre, the methadone of the <laughs> the digital marketing world, and, and now here I am. But it's great because people are super friendly and a lot less rude <laughs> than in any other channel. You,
0: it's amazing because you really have. I've only experienced. maybe. Maybe 10 people out of 30,000 connections and millions of views that I've had to block. And that's really amazing. I think it's because people know that if they do dumb shit on LinkedIn, I know where you work. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I've always said it's the anonymity
1: of social media that can be the problem that makes people not behave themselves. LinkedIn. You are the representative of yourself, your business, everybody knows who you are, where you live. You just have to behave. Although some people still don't. And it just seems ridiculous to me.
0: The great thing is you can click a button and they disappear from existence.
1: (laughs) I know, because you get people that ruminate and ruminate over this kind of stuff. Oh, that person said that thing and they're working on their response for the rest of the day, me? I just click block, (laughs) that's it.
0: I give people two chances. Mm. I, I I call them out, I say, listen, you got a problem. Uh, You cannot post that dumb shit on my LinkedIn. (laughs) You you can either retract it and stay connected to our community or you'll be blocked. Or you'll be blocked. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Let's move away from LinkedIn because LinkedIn's awesome, but it's how we got connected. And I want to learn more about Encore Reality. Tell me, what is Encore Reality?
1: Encore Reality. Okay. The backstory. Okay. Listen, I've been doing kind of communications and education related stuff for the last couple of decades, actually. Yeah. 20, 20 years this year. I started off by doing like standard marketing, and and I was lucky enough to work with some very technical people in web development and stuff like that. So I helped them with marketing; they helped me with technical stuff. And I've developed, I've, I've actually maintained most of those relationships to this very day. One of my best friends, in fact, uh, Alan Fair, who runs a company called Contact Online, Contact Digital now. Actually, uh, he still works with me. I still help him with marketing. He still helps me with digital. That was all good, but I was trying to help people out with communicating with the world on usually very low kind of startup budgets without getting ripped off by, at the time, things like directories and oof, conferences and magazine advertising and that kind of stuff that rarely works unless you got a huge budget, right? So I was trying to get them to use more sensible ways to get to more people cheaper and then along comes this newfangled fancy dancy internet thing and uh, and i'm like right, okay well this is perfect because this means that somebody with a wee bedroom operation can actually reach anybody in the world like anybody can be a multinational so that's why i started promoting so i started working with these techie people who i'd helped to, to learn more about this internet stuff and uh, I ran a few companies myself. I applied the same stuff, digital marketing, that kind of thing. And what I observed was people's attention spans were going down and down and down. You know, we were using analytics systems like Archin, which was subsequently bought by Google and became Google Analytics. And you would get maybe two minutes, one, two minutes of uh, attention span on a website, which at the time we thought, oh my god, that's that's nothing, you know, that, that's hardly any time at all in comparison to a magazine, you know. And then as time passed, it went down and down and down. The options online got more and more and more. The uh, speed of connections got crazy,
0: better and better. I just heard a stat today that the average American sees between four and 10,000 pieces of digital content a day. <laughs> this doesn't
1: surprise me. Hey, do you know somebody's uh, attention Span when they make a decision about a message online, like say a website or whatever, do you know how long it takes them to do?
0: My guess is in less than a five seconds.
1: Oh, it's less than five seconds. Let's go down. So, lower than five seconds. What's your next uh, guess? Two seconds? Oh, no, it's lower than that. It's less than a second. 50 milliseconds, man. Really? 20th of a second. Is it really? Yep, absolutely. Has been for ages. It's probably lower than that now.
0: You make a decision whether to stay or leave. Yep. We have less of an attention span than a goldfish.
1: We do. We absolutely do. About two seconds less.
0: Oh my God. XR, or virtual augmented mixed reality. How are these taking back some of those uh, attention spans?
1: Well, here's how I got into it. I went from online stuff Blogs and things to heavily image based stuff as people's attention spans went right down, so they weren't reading very much. To so then, I started Encore Video because that was all about targeted, strategic online video marketing. Because if a picture speaks a thousand words, then a video speaks millions. Uh, and so, it was a really good way to get a lot of content across. But what was happening simultaneously, Alan, was that people's uh, expectations of interactivity and sort of communication had changed. It had gone from this kind of one way hierarchical thing where Coca Cola says, Drink Coca. All- Coke, and we all go out and drink Coke. That was our slogan at one point. To uh, We we actually expect to have right of reply. We expect our brands to do stuff for us. And this has started to affect the way people work. They expect their bosses to listen to them, not just tell them. And this has affected, I figured this was going to be the next thing that was going to affect people's behavior online, that they, they would require interactivity to the point of immersivity. So if I'd moved from just reading stuff To watching stuff in a video the next logical step would be being actually fully immersed in that content and boy was i ever right this was a good what get on for four years ago i said right this video stuff's been working great but i think this is going to be the next thing now Selling video in Scotland, which is where I'm from, we're quite we're quite a risk averse nation. We don't like paying for stuff until we know exactly whether it's going to work or not. So selling video was quite difficult.
0: Very similar to Canada, we're a fast follow country. We want everything that the Americans are doing with one tenth the budget.
1: <laughs> well that's basically scotland versus well london in the uk you know so i've got an office in london and you find that they are the early adopters and we do a lot of work with dubai and the emirates and stuff and they're real early adopters but they're coming from a place of plenty they don't have any scarcity issues or as many scarcity issues so they can just have fun things and see whether or not it's going to work it doesn't matter if it fills up here and maybe even in canada there's more to lose. I can understand why they're like that. But see, that breaks down entirely when it comes to augmented and virtual reality. Everybody wants it. <laughs> they want, Whether they know what the return on investment is going to be or not, whether they have an idea of how it's going to benefit their business or not, it's the shiniest, shiny new thing ever. And I feel like I've gone from trying to sell healthy snacks to selling freshly baked cakes in a room full of hungry people they just all want some it's great and uh, i'm doing my best to try to convince everybody okay look here's what you need this for here's why we're doing it here's your target audience here's how much you're investing and here's how we're going to ensure a continuous return on investment for you and half the time they're like yeah 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 just give me the shiny (laughs) so uh which is fine you know that's fine i'll go with that but um it's
0: meant that we get to do all sorts
1: of things you know we're getting
0: to all right, so let's talk, let's talk about that. Your website lists a number of different industries. You've got energy, construction, education, corporate, commercial. Let's unpack that. What have you done or what are you doing in industry In energy, for example?
1: Right. Now, the energy sector is interesting because it's split up between traditional energy fossil fuels and oil and stuff like that and that's big news in in scotland you know there's a lot of oil going on here a lot of money there to uh renewables which is also big news here because we've got a lot of wind not so much sunshine and a lot of waves so there's a lot of power being generated by these and you would Think that what these two bits of the industry would require would be completely the same, or or maybe completely different. Well, we are actually selling the same thing to them, but in different ways. Well, so what we're selling to the oil and gas industry is the is live remote site visits to places like oil platforms and high risk places that are offshore. It means that we can send any number of people to these places all they need is a 360 camera set up there they can do a live site inspection they can be guided around we've even worked out a way whereby that live 360 video is actually uh there's movement you can have movement within it you can have avatars or little virtual people in there and you can have virtual objects and so forth and see things going on live now that means you don't have to fly 15 people from all the corners of the globe to scotland and then give them a a, an offshore safety training certificate which is expensive and not fun you've got to be underwater in a helicopter which is never good and then they get their insurance and then you put them in a helicopter and then you fly them to one oil platform now They don't even have to leave their office. Bam, they are in that oil platform with those other people. They go and have a wee confab about it. They come back. They move to another one. They can take in 5, 10, 15 different oil platforms in a single day. Savings there are huge. And the oil industry, oil and gas industry, are really interested in savings because they're not doing so well now. You know, they've, uh, prices have gone down, people are moving over to renewables, Qatar and places like that have, you know, have, have actually done their best to artificially keep the prices down to keep uh, competition out from these renewables and so forth. So it means that they need those cost savings. But when I'm selling this to renewables, I say to them, well, do you really want to be having people going in jets and flying around the world and leaving massive carbon footprints and and unnecessarily travel emissions when you could just use this instead and they go for it on the the carbon kick. So it benefits both of them in different ways, even though they're the same industry and we're selling them the same thing. The next thing that we're doing uh, is that we are using drones to fly around buildings and take a, any drone, any drone operator anywhere in the world can just, we just tell them what to do. You go out there, fly around this building, take photos from these angles, send it back to us, and we can fire you back a really, really accurate 3D model of that building. Now, the purpose of that is we're using it for solar energy installation. So basically, there's a dichotomy, there's a, there's, there's a divide between the people that invest in stuff and the people who care about the environment. Yeah, usually you'll just invest in the stuff that makes you the most money. We're trying to make caring for the environment make the most money. So what we do with these 3D models is that we tie in other information like the angle of the building, the orientation, the prevailing weather conditions and that bit, of the world, the longitude, the latitude, the et cetera. And from that, we can actually calculate and even design these solar arrays and exactly how much power they'll generate which means that we can say okay it's going to cost you this much to put these solar panels on these roofs in this city here's where you put them here's how much it'll cost you here's how uh, long it'll take for this to generate enough power to pay you back for your investment and here's how much money you'll make year on year selling that power back to the people that live there at a reduced rate but it means that everybody's happy right people are happy to have the panels on their roofs because they're paying less for their power the investors are happy because they know exactly what bang they're going to get for their buck and when they're going to get return on their investment the environment's happy because we're not using oil coal gas etc for that purpose does that make sense
0: a little bit. Just saving the environment and stuff. Who really cares? Let's be honest. I don't think the, that the global climate change is a thing. I, I, I'm a denier.
1: Are you? Really? Uh, no. Okay.
0: okay. <laughs> Man, it, I, I watched a video of my friend. He's like, he's a futurist. And, and today he had a post on LinkedIn. He's like, I met a guy who works for a big company who is a legitimate denier. And he goes, by the time, you know, I had a, an hour long conversation with him, everything that he was saying was like just a bunch of fake news. He was, he was quoting a Time Magazine article that was a fake. And I'm like, guys, wake the f- up. The world is <laughs> on fire.
1: <laughs> I know, oh, right? Well. Here's the thing. I had a chat with somebody online uh, and they were talking about, oh, the plastic in the oceans, we should do something about it and clean it up. You know, the usual kind of preachy stuff, but they're never going to actually do anything. And I said, well, look, what you really need to do is you need to make that plastic profitable because then the big corps will come in with the re- resources that they have and they will literally and figuratively clean up that shit. If you can turn that plastic into building materials or fuel or something like that, they'll come in and they'll get it gone. But one it's thing India.
0: that I saw recently that blew my mind was actually India is starting to use ground-up plastic in their roads. And it turns out that it makes a great building material for roads. It's it resilient. It lasts longer than traditional concrete. And it doesn't have the the traditional cracks that uh, the concrete get. So it's Brilliant. actually a great building material for that. I mean, look, we have enough plastic on this planet to pave every road in the world over again. We
1: sure do. I mean that's it, you know, when you go in like children's play parks and stuff, you know that rubbery kind of material that they put there so that they don't hurt themselves on like the concrete and spikes that they used to put when we were younger, you know? Yeah, I know. When we grew up it was
0: like go and hurt yourself. It's okay, it's part exactly. of growing
1: up. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's a ladder, it's fifty meters high, you know, just try not to fall. <laughs> but yeah, so the the stuff they've got now, it's all bouncy, or oh, these these snowflakes, man, they don't know the burn. Anyway, that stuff's made out of ground up tires. And that's been around for ages, right? Tire crumb, they call it, because tires yeah. are a notoriously difficult thing to recycle, but that's a really good thing to do with it. But like you say, the road surface that they're using in India, it doesn't lose grip. You know, as it wears down, that's the problem with using mm-hmm. other materials is they usually, when they wear down, they get shiny and slick and
0: they lose their grip. This stuff mm-hmm. doesn't. So it's great. You can reuse it. If you need to re- You pull it up and regrind it, put it back down. Like plastic yeah. does not never go away. So it's, if you have a million year lifespan of a piece of plastic, you got a million year lifespan of your road. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Build something that you want to last for a million years. <laughs> but uh, I know, and they're getting better at it all
1: the time. Well, this is what I'm basically trying to do. I, I figured, okay, what's an unlimited resource? All those poor buggers, photographers who bought into drones and were told, sold the dream. You know, oh yeah, you get a drone. Endless work will come in, and you'll be you'll be laughing. And most of them have got these things sitting on a shelf, gathering dust. Well, I,
0: I mean, I actually was one of those people and i I did the business model i was like okay we're gonna we're gonna have a drone company we're gonna do exclusive drone footage for high-end real estate and all this and Mm. yeah we looked at it and i'm like yeah these drones are dropping in price and they fly themselves now i don't know about that
1: exactly and the thing is that there are some very we've got a thing over in the uk i don't know if it's spread out of the uk called the drone safe register and you have to have a minimum level of qualification. you basically have to be a pilot, practically, to run these things commercially now, right?
0: Uh, it actually makes sense. Let's be honest. We don't want people flying around with, with potential bombs on people's head. Because if that falls on somebody's head, that's it. They're done oh yeah absolutely and those things go so
1: high now and they go so fast and then you've got things like you need to know about flight paths you need to so the guy that we've got on our team oh you love this guy he's ex-royal navy he used to be a submariner right so in the cold war he was hunt for red october kind of stuff except his scottish accent was legitimately meant to be in his submarine because he wasn't <laughs> and then he went and he was in charge of the uh, coast guard in Scotland, like really, really high up in the Coast Guard anyway. He's the guy who coordinates all of our global drone activities because he's the guy who can phone up an army base and go, "Uh, we're going to fly a drone over here. And they say, where and what altitude and why are you doing this? And he knows all the answers. He knows all the people. He's just super good at coordinating that, predicting weather.
0: Let's talk about that for a sec, because I've seen some of the stuff you guys do in terms of photogrammetry. So basically flying a drone over a space from multiple heights and flight paths Capturing Mm -hmm. photographs of, let's say, um, an industrial building, and then from those, you're able to create a point cloud map, a 3D model of that, which you can then import into VR, and you can now look at the building from all angles. Instead of climbing up the building, doing you just fly a drone over, put it in VR, and you can actually zoom right into all parts of the roof and really give it a good inspection in the right amount of time without having to climb the ladder, climb down, climb the ladder, climb down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we originally put this to the housing associations that we have that deal with like uh, community housing projects and that kind of stuff here, we said to them, "Hey, we can predict all your solar stuff." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell us what condition our uh, roofing tiles are in? Because that's that's a big yeah. issue for us. Because you know? normally what they do is they just put in all the roofing tiles on all the houses, and then they go, they go, okay, this thing's got roughly ten year lifespan. So ten years time, we just take all off and replace it. But you don't need to." Everywhere. You You might find that in some places it wears early, in some places it's sheltered. They can save, and I'm talking a small housing association here in Scotland, which is a small country, they can save tens of millions of pounds in a single pass and then they can take that money that they've saved and apply it to other things like we've got a problem with fuel poverty here mostly keeping places warm <laughs> is the problem you know I don't think there's many air conditioning units in Scotland and they can they can apply it to dealing with fuel poverty and we can even if you fire a an infrared camera onto the same drones, which is cheap. It's a lot cheaper than things like LiDAR and laser scanners and stuff. Then we can check the heat egress from buildings so we can say, oh, that one's actually got some seriously bad insulation. That person's spending way too much on their heating and they're losing most of it to the sky. We'll go in and give them insulation. That'll save them money, save us money. Everybody's happy. I mean, the thing is, the technology is amazing. It's finding solutions for it. As you know from my background, I'm all about things like education and communication and stuff like that. So I tend not to think too hard about the tech. I tend to think, okay, here's the tech, here's what it could do, where's the need? Where, where
0: can we find people who could benefit from this? Well, let me ask you a question. What is, in, in your opinion, because you've been doing this a little while, you've done all sorts of different industries, where are industries seeing the highest ROI?
1: Highest ROI is in, um, it's definitely in engineering uh, and energy sector engineering. That's where you get the, the most bang for your buck. But that's because their outgoings are so massive. It's not so much return, it's savings. That's where it really seems to benefit them because they can actually save money on travel. They can save money in insurance. They can save money on other forms of energy generation, that kind of stuff. They can, for instance, see with an offshore oil platform here's another example of how we use it you fly a drone around that thing once a month and you check the structure of it this is using laser scanners and then you just come back the next month and you see if it's moved if it's moved you're in trouble because this thing is like hundreds of thousands of tons of steel right with being battered by north sea waves and stuff like that constantly if that thing even begins to shake It's going to start to fall to pieces and the repair bills for that are going to be vast in civil engineering. So, yeah, so those kind of savings, this kind of preemptively working out whether damage is occurring or preemptively working out whether you need to get in there and and just fix something. You know, what's that phrase? A stitch in time saves nine. That's where the real benefits are. But my God, are they interested in the remote meeting side of things? Because that's going to save them an absolute fortune. The lost manners, the transportation, The corporate and social responsibility to reduce travel emissions, uh, to stop flying people around in jets for pointless meetings.
0: Have you ever met somebody who works for a big company that actually enjoys the business travel? When you're 20, business travel is amazing. But uh, no, I can't imagine anybody who says, yeah, I can't wait to go fly anywhere without my family. And it's fun once you get there. You meet with your friends and it's great. But no, I don't think anybody really, truly enjoys that. Especially, there's certain things like you get on a plane, you fly across the world for a meeting and then fly back. That's just ridiculous. We do it all the time. Here's what I think is even better because let's be honest, you're getting on a plane, you're flying across the world and you're sitting in a boardroom Like, If you're going to sit in a boardroom anyway, you may as well sit in a boardroom. Now, instead of sitting in a boardroom talking about an oil platform, why don't we meet in VR in the actual oil platform and have a meeting about the oil platform?
1: Exactly. And then you can get other stakeholders involved, you know what I mean? It doesn't just have to be engineers talking to engineers or financiers talking to financiers. If everybody can see what they're actually talking about be where they are, they really get an understanding of each other's disciplines, you know? that's a, I teach uh, for the modern apprenticeship scheme. I created some uh, content on digital marketing for them, and they got me in to teach it regularly. I like it. It keeps me grounded because it's the like younger people at early stages of, say, marketing and business and that kind of thing. And I get to tell them all the things that they should be doing, which frequently reminds me of the stuff that I'm not doing. Do As I say, not as I do. I mean, most of my anecdotes are when I've screwed up by not doing the thing that I'm telling them to do. But uh, they, uh, they, I always tell them, like, you can only be effective in an organization if you understand truly what everybody else in that organization does. And the only way to do that is to get your hands dirty, man, get in there, you know, work with them, talk to them, see how they do it, where they do it. But that's not always possible when everybody's spread out geographically and there's risks in a lot of cases, there's the hazardous and bad. That kind of stuff in virtual reality, not a problem. Virtual reality, you can be right in there doing it, talking with the people, seeing how they do it because it's really hard to explain how CNC lathing works or even what it is. But you only need to see it for five minutes to actually get
0: a gist of it. We actually work with a group, uh, and they've built several just very basic hands-on training, and you just do it, and then that skill is literally transferable. You all the configurations are the exact same as you just did. It's transferable one-to-one.
1: Absolutely. That's the difference, right? Because now we're getting into education. They call what you just described there low-road learning. It's experiential. It's doing, learning from doing. And I remember my, my background, right, my family background, It's says engineers going right back to like watts, like the watts, where the, the name electrical watts came from. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, I know, I know, I'm quite pleased with that one. But then more recently, they all went and my family got into kind of teaching, right? My parents were both teachers, and I seem to have been born with a bit of both, right? So I'm obsessed with education, I'm obsessed with engineering. And so I've been learning and learning and learning about the various forms of education. I got myself a qualification as a further education lecture a few years ago. And that's kind of what got me into modern apprenticeship training and Google, the stuff that I do with Google and the stuff that I do with Chartered Institute of Marketing, which is all training based, right? And I can't see any better way to learn, having interviewed loads of candidates and so forth, than better theory, better practice, better theory, better practice. But I remember doing this lecture in front of uh, Glasgow University's greatest and good of their academia. And it was the (laughs) <laughs> it was the toughest audience I've ever had because basically what I was telling them was education is screwed. Education has gone so far in the direction of one-to-many pedagogical learning, you know, like the Peter, the father figure teaching, you know, the sage in the stage. Now it's moving in the direction of guide on the side rather than sage in the stage. Let people do stuff, you know, just guide them. And now with virtual reality, it's going right back to what we used to do in our paleolithic, our gatherer ancestors, where if you wanted to learn how to debark a tree or skin an animal, some dude would show you. <laughs> you know. And that's how we learn. That's how we evolved to learn. Don't get me wrong. Rote learning and, and pedagogical learning has its place but the best way to do it is a combination. And if the kind of things that we're learning to do aren't skinning animals and debarking trees, it's like, how do you turn this dial so that this thing doesn't blow up? <laughs> and that's, uh, <laughs> that's a big deal. You want to get that right first time.
0: <laughs> yeah, that seems important. Well,
1: yeah. yeah, Not blowing up or blowing off everybody around you. Yeah. And similarly, if you're operating a digger or an excavator, I mean, God, you could cause a lot of damage with one of those things, you know? I'd love to get the opportunity to cause a, da- a lot of damage with one of those things, but certainly, it's it's a lot cheaper, better and easier to train people in a safe environment where they can get it nailed first time. And then when they're in that situation again, they know what to do. I We actually came up with something for, again, it was oil and gas industry. As, as you can see, it's a big thing here, right? If you're on an oil platform and the alarms go off, you're, you're in trouble, right? So you wake up in your bunk, you look at your laminate thing on the wall that says, right, here's your nearest exit or whatever, or maybe somebody showed you it the day that you arrived in nice sunny conditions. But now it's nighttime, it's driving wind and rain, there's smoke, there's fire, there's people screaming, and it's chaos, right? That laminated card that tells you where your nearest lifeboat is isn't going to be that much use. But if you look at people in life or death situations, they always talk about their life flashing before their eyes. Well, there's a reason for that, right? Obsessed with psychophysiology and psychology and stuff. And Basically, what's happening is your brain is accessing all of the other panic experiences that it's ever had and going, how did you survive? Is there a relevant survival plan for this situation that we can use here? And see if you, instead of giving somebody a laminated card, you stick them in virtual reality and you say, right, alarms are going. You can actually smell the, the, the fumes, you know, using the olfactory uh, stimulus. You've got to get out. You've got to find your way to this lifeboat in time. And OK, you did it right this time. But this time, the oil derricks collapsed in front of you. You've got to find another route. Now simultaneously, somebody else out there is observing your, you know, what you're doing, how well you're achieving it and see the next time that really happens in real life and your brain flashes through all the experiences, it knows what to do. And that is going to be much more useful in saving lives than some placard or or, or group training day. You know,
0: the more I learn about this and the more I I listen to people and the more I learn, it just, a lot of this is anecdotal or, or up until recently has been anecdotal. We think VR can give you real memories like real people. Okay, great. (laughs) well now we're proving it now it's actually uh-huh. um, being shown and if this can save lives that's incredible and saving money is great saving lives is really important absolutely absolutely although you do tend to find that I mean, this is
1: quite sad really but uh when we've been dealing with again, you know, offshore oil and that kind of thing, we were talking to them about using a drone that can detect hydrocarbon clouds, you know, like gas clouds explosives, from a distance, so that human beings don't have to go into that situation, so they're not put at risk. And I thought, oh, that's amazing! That's great that this industry is 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 interested
0: in in safeguarding its workers' lives. It's not. <laughs> if it, no, it just comes down to each worker's life is worth three hundred and forty seven thousand five hundred and twenty one dollars. Precisely,
1: and if somebody gets they get used for doing something bad their share values drop and they can't be having that so that's why they're doing it but that's okay i mean if that's how they're motivated then fine you know what i mean we'll, we'll, we'll do the right thing and get paid to develop these
0: things but the reason so that we can actually do something good for the world save lives the the end of the day companies the way the way we've designed capitalism and i think it will change over the next 10 years mm-hmm. to be honest I, the way we've designed capitalism is we have one measure for success of a business that is economic. Yeah. My personal purpose is to inspire and educate future leaders to think and act in a way that's socially, economically, and environmentally sustainable. That three phase of this is really what I think is going to be how we manage this.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. There's a book that I read. There's a, there's a writer here that I really like. He does science fiction and he does fiction. He's called Ian Banks. When he's doing his fiction, it's Ian Banks. When he's doing his, not his science fiction, it's Ian M. Banks, right? This was one of these weird crossover ones where it was a bit sci-fi-ish, but it wasn't fully, and it was called Transitions. And um, basically, Ian Banks is a bit of a socialist, right? And he describes these guys that can, these people who can transition from one dimension to another, uh, and some of these dimensions are slightly more, or slightly less advanced, or slightly more, slightly, uh, slightly further into the future, or further back, or whatever. But they've They've defined them. There's this organization called The Concern, which that's their job. They, they, they move through these different dimensions, attempting to find patterns and, and right wrongs or avoid catastrophes or that kind of thing. But they've defined certain dimensions as being cruel or kind. And the ones that they define as being cruel are the ones where shareholder capital and limited companies has come into being as a means of growing organizations. Because it inevitably ends up with profit being put before anything else because your shareholders most of the time don't really know or they're disconnected from the actual activities of the company All that they're connected to, usually by like a hedge fund manager or whatever, are how much money am I getting back on my investment? That's it. So if that company has two choices, one of them is let's put an oil pipeline across Alaska. Uh, If we put it above ground, it will disrupt caribou migratory pathways and cause mass extinction. If we put it under the ground, it won't, but it'll cost us more. They'll put it above the ground because they've got to get the best return on investment, right? And there's our problem. But there are... There are ways around this, like ethical investment planning and so forth. And there are ethical investment charters and groups which only allow investment, or basically highly, which companies do not qualify for this investment. And those ones, the ones that do qualify, are doing better. So even if you are to take it down to just money, people are actually moving in that direction.
0: They will, they will get more investment if they are ethical. And I think that's a good move. What problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? <sighs>
1: lack of communication, We've become a very isolated, insular society through a lot of the stuff that you were talking about. There are people out there who don't get to talk to other people, so they don't have a, a, an understanding of them. They don't get to see other bits of the world, so they don't have an understanding of those bits of the world. They Maybe they've got mobility difficulties, maybe they've got communication issues. We have uh, the ability to take anyone from anywhere to anywhere, regardless of their physical condition, regardless of their place in the in the world, for the purposes of education for the purposes of avoiding loneliness and for the purposes of just learning and working together as a, we're a communicative pack creature, you know, species, right? So we work best when we work together. And I think that uh, with 5G, with connectivity, with virtual reality, with full, multi-sensory, fully immersive, experiential communication like this that isn't restricted geographically and isn't restricted by your financial or your physical means, we, could, we have no reason not to all communicate with each other, you know? So that that's what I would like to do. I would like to see us as a species connected together globally.
0: That is a beautiful vision, my friend. And on that, I want to say thank you, uh, David, and thank you everyone for listening. This has been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast is another incredible example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing business across every industry. To learn more about the great work that David and his team are doing, you can visit EncoreReality.com. David, thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me, Alan. It was a pleasure.
0: Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that There's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com, and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists media lists exclusive content interviews with our mentors we have over 56 mentors and if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one one-hour call with one of the mentors what we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions we're transcribing them taking out any personal information And we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is going to drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com, and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.